Thank you. Wow, I got applause and I haven't done anything yet. That's scary. Give me about 15 minutes, you'll be like, can we take it back? Howdy. <laughs> Actually, down in Dallas, it's more like, howdy. They accent at the end, and they know I fake it really well, but they still include me, so that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I, I cannot believe what I get to do. I'm graduating with a master's degree in May, Lord willing, and... Don't cheer that yet, because I still have to take two classes, and one of the professors will probably hear this on the internet and be like, no, he can't, no. Um, I graduate in May, but I'm, I've got to do so many things I've never thought I would ever get to do. Um, this upcoming spring, I get to teach a class in their late institute. I'm going to be teaching eight weeks on pastoral burnout, which is something I know will be a great benefit for the church in general, and I'll just say this, the research for that class is depressing, absolutely depressing, and please pray for me as I prepare that class. I start teaching that in February, um, and I'm excited I get to teach that. I'm also serving at a ministry called Reach, where uh, basically we do a lot of international outreach. Um, I, I was drawn to this ministry uh, because they train pastors overseas, if they're, if uh, if you're a pastor overseas, more than likely you have been trained in any type of pastoral care or any type of theology. And so this organization strives to train all those pastors. And one of the things we do is we hold a month-long training thing we call a GPA, Global Proclamation Academy. It's held on the DTS campus. And we select 25 pastors that are basically referred to us. They're so excited that there's people that want to train them, and then we help them come to America for three weeks and train them to be pastors overseas. And it's just incredible, and I'm just still in shock that I get to do this. It's hard work, but it's like, I'm thankful that it's hard work, and I'm thankful that I get to do this hard work. And then there's a couple of things I've done down in Dallas on the fun side. Uh, I've done a couple improv classes to try to be funny. Um, Hasn't worked, as you could tell. You all, all you're laughing right now is just generosity. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. But uh, another thing I've tried doing is running. Apparently, everybody loves running down there. I still attempt it. Uh, every now and then, I get this thought, like, I'm going to run a 5K. I need to run a 5K. I'm going to run a 5K without stopping. And what happens is I download this app onto my iPhone, and it's supposed to train you to be able to run an entire 5K without stopping. And the way it works is over a nine-week period, you get on a treadmill, and like the first week, it tells you run one minute, walk one minute, run one minute, walk one minute, and you do that for 30 minutes. And then as the weeks go on, the running time gets longer, and the walking times get shorter. And I, about every time before I quit, I make it to about week six, because week six is where you run 10 minutes without stopping. And seriously, that's impossible. These people that run marathons down in Dallas, oh my goodness, they're just showing off. It's impossible to run 10 minutes, but I did it once. I did it once. Let me explain to you what goes through my mind when I run a 10-minute without stopping on the treadmill. 
the first two minutes are basically I got the songs on my iPhone, and what's going through my mind is I got this, I got this. Make sure you get the running stride right. Make sure you do the breathing right. You got to breathe right in order to do this right. Concentrate, Will. You can do this. Do not give this up. You can do this. This is going to be a 10-minute run. You can do this 10-minute run. About minute two to four, oh, my legs hurt. Okay, okay, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought, but that's all right. I'll keep going, I'll keep going, I'll keep going. Don't give up, don't give up. You ain't a quitter, Will. Keep going. This is in my mind. Minute five through six, seriously, my legs hurt. This really hurts. Breathing is not supposed to hurt this much. Maybe I have asthma. I should probably see a doctor after this. I don't know. Keep going, just keep going. Minute seven through eight, that's where like, I start asking myself existential questions. What is really the meaning in my life that I think running 10 minutes without stopping is that important? Do I really need to run 10 minutes? Like, is that really like on the top of the chart of what's really important in everything in my life right now? You know, and then you start doing the self-bargaining about minute eight. Like, you know, eight minutes is still a long time. You can do the 10-minute run another time. Eight minutes is fine. Just stop at eight minutes. But no, Will, you ain't a quitter. You can't quit. Keep going, keep going. Don't go past eight. Go to nine, go to 10. You can go to nine. You can go to 10. Get to minute nine. I can do this. Oh, my goodness. I'm at minute nine. I can do this. Why is the clock running so slow? Why is it going so slow? And then you hit minute 10, and then my mind just starts freaking out like, oh, my gosh, I did it. I ran 10 minutes. I would raise my arms in victory, but I'm too tired to do it. I just ran 10 minutes, and then I finish out the workout. I go back to my apartment, and it's like I got the cocky swagger going like, yeah. I got it. And then about 20 minutes, the thought hits my head. You know you have to do that again. <laughs> Only longer. And then those thoughts seep into my brain, and then I just don't go running again. <laughs> I've done that about five or six times. Bought myself about five or six pairs of running shoes. And uh, I say all that not to just embarrass myself, but because I want to bring out a point. Everybody gets weary. Everybody gets exhausted. Everybody goes through difficulty. Everybody goes through suffering. What makes a believer's trials through suffering different than what makes a non-believer's trials through suffering is that the believers have hope. The biggest thing I hear a lot when it comes to suffering is that we can't give up on God. We can't give up on God. We can't stop. I don't think that's the big temptation for believers. I know the big, big temptation is that we give up on God. I think the big temptation is that we just grow stagnant. We don't persevere. We just coast. That's the biggest danger when we go through difficulty times is we just pause. We're not giving up on God, but we're not progressing. And in today's passage, and I thought this would be a great passage to start off the new year, um, we're going to look at what Paul said to the church in Galatia. It's going to be in Galatians chapter 6, if you want to turn to there. We're going to look at four verses. But I've noticed from studying this passage, as well as my studies for Dallas Theological Seminary, um, for the class that I'm teaching and everything, that all of this can tie into both individual believers, person-by-person basis, but all this can also type in to the corporate church, to the group. And so what I'm going to say today may sometimes only allude to the individual believers, but sometimes it may allude to the whole church. And I'll try to point that out as best as possible. But what I want to do is pose the question, what is it 
that causes us to give in to the weariness? What is it that when we get weary, doesn't really make us stop, but doesn't really make us go forward? What are some reasons for that to happen? And I got four here from Galatians chapter 6. So let me read the whole passage that I'm going to preach on today, and then I'll dig into the answers. Verse 6 says it right here. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So what are some reasons we give into weariness? The first one, well, churches give into the weariness when the leaders grow weary. This is interesting. In verse 6 here, Paul out of nowhere just says, hey, Take care of the ones that are teaching you good things. And scholars talk about how baffling this is because the whole book of Galatians, Paul is just laying out an argument about the gospel. He's identifying himself as the apostle as well as talking about the true nature of the gospel. And then out of nowhere in chapter 5, after he talks about how to live out the gospel, he's just saying, hey, take care of your leaders. Just out of nowhere. And we see, I see the connection here because he's talking about the corporate church. But what happened in Galatia was that this church got infiltrated with false teaching. These Judaizers, that's the heretical term that they were called, they would come and teach that in order to become a Christian, you had to be Jewish first. That involves circumcision. And to a middle-aged Gentile man, that's a difficult and unnecessary step to have to take in order to become a believer. And what Paul was saying to the church in Galatia, and he was really mad when he wrote wrote about this to them, he was telling them, no, You do not have to be circumcised in order to become a believer. And what would happen was these false teachers that infiltrated the church, all the members of the church would flock to the false teachers, and all the good teachers that were teaching the true gospel were being neglected. They weren't getting any support from the members because the members went and supported the bad teachers. And towards the end of his letter, Paul is basically saying, go back to the good teachers and take care of the good teachers. Don't neglect the good teachers. From my studies from my class... I've noticed that when it comes to pastoral burnout, there's two factors. There's environmental factors, and then there's the personal factors. And my class will focus mostly on the personal factors because I'm going to be teaching pastors. So we'll talk about the personal factors. But there's some environmental factors I've noticed in my research. And I thought it'd be great to talk about what are ways to make sure a church takes care of their leaders. Um, The first one is obvious. Make sure they're supported financially. It's really difficult in ministry to do the full-time job when you have to have another part-time job to support yourself. Really difficult to do that. And it's really exhausting. And their families take a toll on that. Support the ministers financially. The other ones support them emotionally. I'll say this from my own experience in ministry. Ministry can be one of the most isolating positions ever. You could find yourself asking existential questions that you're afraid to ask other people because you're supposed to be training them. You know, when when bad things happen in the church, the ministers feel it too. They feel that baggage as well. And when tragedy happens, they find themselves asking the same questions. God, how could you let this happen? What is going on? Seriously, God, how can we handle this? 
and then they don't have anything to relieve that baggage of. Depression and anxiety are high factors in ministry. And they need to have support emotionally. They need to have friends. They need to have companions. And they need to have time to be with friends and companions. And the other one is they need support in service. They need volunteers. Ministers are incredibly stretched thin. And they need more people to volunteer so that way they can have the time to devote themselves to the preaching and to other important matters. And the apostles address this in Acts chapter 6 as well. And that's a good passage to study in your own personal time. But they need support in service as well. Now, a leady, <laughs> sorry, yeah. uh, weariness seeps in when the leaders get weary. And that, that shows in the church. But there's, more some, there's some personal factors that go into this. And, and the second one is what causes us to give in to weariness. The second one is uh, we can get a self-centered focus. We can just get co- so caught up in me. It's all about me. I got to be me. And Paul talks about this. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And that word mocked in the Greek is this image of the Greek people lifting their nose at somebody in order to ignore them. It's this idea of being snooty. It's, it's this idea that I know better than you. And, and Paul is saying, if, don't do that with God. You're not going to win. And he points it out, like, if you keep sinning, thinking that you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to reap the destruction of your sin, don't think that you can just play games with God like that. Don't think that you just keep digging into the sinful nature, giving into the temptations, being completely selfish. Don't you dare think, that God is going to be okay with that. On the flip side, he's also saying, but you got to reap into, or you got to sow into the eternal spirit. Follow the leading of the spirit, which he talks about in Galatians chapter 5. Follow the leading of the spirit, and you'll reap eternal life. Now, time out. I want to clarify something here, because it can get misconceived. There's this magical seminary term. It's called retribution theology. Retribution theology. This is wrong. just want to clear this out, but I want to teach it to you. Retribution theology is wrong. And it's the idea that if you do good, good things will happen. If you do bad, bad things will happen. In other words, if bad things are happening, it's because you're a bad person. Wrong. Completely wrong. When bad things happen, God is not punishing you. God is not out to get you. God is not out to hurt you. That is completely and utterly false. And anybody that teaches that needs to study their Bible further because it's in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see Job. He was a good man. He was a man of integrity. And bad things happened to him. But it wasn't because he sinned all of a sudden. They happened to him because he lived in a broken world. John chapter 9, there's a man born blind and the disciples and Jesus walked by him. And the disciples asked Jesus, so who sinned that caused this man to be blind? Was it his parents or did he sin in the womb or did he sin sometime after birth? And and Jesus is like, no, he didn't sin at all. In fact, his blindness is to give God glory. And then he healed the man of his blindness And that's a fun story to read in John chapter 9. If anybody believes that the Bible doesn't have sarcasm, read John chapter 9. Favorite passage to talk about sarcasm. But this all goes to speak that this idea that if something bad happens is because God is out to get you is completely and utterly false. That is not it whatsoever. As I said at the beginning, bad things happen to believers and non-believers. The big difference is the believers have hope. So what exactly is Paul trying to say in this verse? 
Well, on the individual basis, person by person, he's saying this. You can't keep sinning and become like Jesus. You can't just keep giving in to your sinful nature. You can't just stop, like, not even try to stop sinning. You can't just all of a sudden think, I can keep with this lifestyle. I can keep with this addiction. I can keep with everything and still think you'll become like Jesus. Don't try to mock God and thinking that's going to happen. On the church basis, on the corporate basis, we can't continue to make the church inward focused and expect the gospel to be spread to unbelievers. The Great Commission is to go out. Many churches have the problem of trying to draw people in. We're supposed to be going out. Uh, There's a book. It's a small book. It's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. It's by Tom Rainer. And this guy, he gets hired by publishing companies to do research for them and write books about it. And one of the books that he did was Autopsy of the, De- of the Deceased Church. And he was basically paid to go and research churches that closed their doors for good. He went and researched all these churches. And the book, it's only about this book, this thick, and it's $5 at a lot of Christian bookstores because he wrote it for a lot of people to read. And the purpose of the book is what are the common elements that led to the church closing their doors? And I wanted to read a quote here from the book. Members of the dying church weren't willing to go into the community to reach and minister to the people. They weren't willing to invite their unchurched friends and their relatives. They weren't willing to expend all the funds necessary for a vibrant outreach. They just wanted it to happen without prayer, without sacrifice, without hard work. But here's the bigger issue. Even if the church began to grow on its own, the members of that dying church would only accept the growth if the new believers were like them and if the, continue, if the church would continue to quote-unquote do, do church the way that they wanted it to be done. That reality, when all is said and done, is likely at the heart of the issue. Members of the dying churches really didn't want growth unless that growth met their preferences and allowed them to remain comfortable. Corporately, the church just can't sow seeds into comfort and all all of a sudden expect the Great Commission to be fulfilled. Now, part of that is if we go out and do the Great Commission or if we try to repent of sin and shed the sinful nature, we, we get upset because we don't see things happen quickly. We get upset because, and we, we have a hard time dealing with the struggles that because we don't see the results right now. Uh, Paul says in, uh, in verse 9 that if we cannot grow weary of doing good, for in the due season we will reap if we do not give up. The only problem is the way we function as a society kind of contradicts that. Let me explain. I have the new iPhone 6. I'm showing it off. I got it on Black Friday. I stayed. I got up at 5.30 in the morning to go to Sam's Club and got a sweet deal on this puppy. And what's interesting is the iPhone 6 has a feature that no other iPhone has. It's called Apple Pay. And the way it works is I was at Walgreens, and I saw they had Apple Pay, and I was like, oh, I'll try it. You, you pay for your purchase by ta- basically taking your phone and tapping it on this little device that's on the register. You just tap the re- register, and all of a sudden your purchase is paid for, and you can walk out on your merry way. And I thought, well, that's really cool. That's, that's interesting. I got to my car, and I realized, okay, this is all 
That device saved me from doing it. It saved me from going to my wallet, opening my wallet, pulling out my debit card, swiping my debit card, putting my debit card back into my wallet, and putting my wallet back into my pocket. Millions of dollars went into technology and research to develop this new technology called Apple Pay that basically saved me 14 seconds. But that's our society. We want stuff faster, quicker, better, stronger, and we want it now. And we have to have it now. And if we don't get it now, we'll find somebody that will get it to us now. And we try to do the same demands with God. And God's like, no, it's my time. In in John chapter 4, the disciples were with Jesus after he talked to the woman at the well. And Jesus basically told him, I just reaped a harvest from seeds that were planted generations ago. It could be generations before you see the fruit of the harvest. It could be a year, it could be a decade, it could be a century. Here's the key. God is not concerned with results because he brings the results. He is concerned with faithfulness. He's concerned with obedience. He will bring the results. He just wants you to be faithful. And part of that faithfulness is knowing that he will bring the results in his time. One of my favorite passages when I get that caught up in my mind is Hebrews chapter 11. I'll go to the end of the chapter here. Basically, Hebrews chapter 11 is just this list of all these people that did great things for God, were faithful, and they were commended for the faith. But when you read the last verse, it kind of like gets you in the gut. Verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Time out. They did all these great things, and it's listed out in the chapter, all these great things, and they didn't get what was promised to them. How is that? Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They didn't receive what they were promised because God gave them something better. Once again, God is not concerned with what results you bring. He is concerned with your obedience, with your faithfulness. And on church level, God is not concerned with the results. He's concerned with the obedience, with the faithfulness. And the way we are faithful is when we follow the leading of the Spirit, as Paul explained in Galatians chapter 5. And it's also good because when the disappointments in life come in, that says we don't have to give up. Because we know God will do something greater as we are faithful right now. As we are being faithful, we have to make sure that we don't let the weariness seep in and cause us to be stagnant. And if we're stagnant, here's the problem. The last one, we can miss opportunities. Um, this is just basically the result of a person or a church that lets the weariness keep them from doing good. Uh, Paul said in the final verse of this passage, he said, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. This verse has been used incorrectly to say that, well, we can only do good to those that are members of the church. Paul said, no, do good to everyone, but especially those that are of the faith in the church. Paul is not saying you should neglect everybody and take care of your own church. But he's also saying, don't neglect your church as you're taking care of everybody. When you have opportunities to do good in the community... Don't neglect the needs of your own church in order to do those opportunities. That is crucial and that is important. Uh, One of the most blessing times I had in Dallas was uh, 
there's a guy I went to undergrad with. His name is Andy Rodriguez. He went to Ozark Christian College as well. And he, after he graduated college, he went to Japan. He went to Japan and started a church there. And it's the church, or the country itself is less than 2% Christian. And he went and started a church there. And about six months after he got there, the tsunami hit Japan that completely obliterated the country. And I had a great time because he came and stayed in my apartment for a week while he was taking a class at DTS. And the whole week, I'm just like learning from him about being a missionary in Japan and, and everything that he has done. And it was such a great time. But like just hearing him talk about the tsunami, hearing him talk about how the church reacted to knowing that there was this opportunity to do a great good in a, in a country that was obliterately non-believing. It was just incredible, and it challenged my faith. Because, like, I'm just thinking, like, if I just moved to a brand-new country where I don't know the language at all, and then all of a sudden something like that happened, I don't know if I would have the faith to stay. They stayed, and they persevered. And instead of being a stagnant church, they went with God. It was an incredible opportunity. Weariness happens. We will get tired. As I explained in the running at the beginning, getting tired is a part of the job. We will get tired. But the call is that we cannot just stop running because we're tired. We have to do good. And part of that is knowing what will make us stop doing good so that we can press on. And part of that is what you guys have done for me. I was thinking about that a couple months ago, and um, do you guys know, I, I graduated from the high school here, but do you guys know that is going to be 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah, you're old, right? <laughs> <laughs> 10 years ago, this May, that would be 10 years. And like, it was just baffling my mind, all the stuff that has happened in the last 10 years. And I was like, let me play a game here. What would happen if, like, I got in a time machine and I went back and talked to myself 10 years ago? And I was like, okay, let me write a letter to myself. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write a letter to myself when I was in high school right before graduation, before I decide to go to the school and go through the ceremony. What would I write to myself to encourage myself? And so I wrote a letter, and I thought I'd share it with you guys. Dear Will, it's me, yourself, 10 years into the future. And right now, as you read this, you're about to head into high, to the high school and get ready for your graduation. You know it is a big day for you. I also know that you have a lot of worries, a lot of questions, a lot of fears, and a lot of trembling just laid out right before you. Right now, you still don't know what college you're going to go to. You don't know exactly what you're going to study, and you also you know some people don't think that you're making the best decision right now. As much as it would be my pure joy to tell you all the answers to those questions, I know it would be worse for you if I did. Let me just say this. The next decade will be like that roller coaster you hated riding in Kansas City. There will be a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Your anxiety will get the best of you. But lift up your head. Despite all these low moments in your life, you will become so much stronger than you realize. There will be moments where you will stop and cry because of the sorrow in your heart. But there will also be moments where you'll stop and cry because of the joy. 
The next 10 years won't be easy, and you will want to give up, but for some reason you never did. You did good when others hurt you. You did good when it was painful to do good, and others did good to you when you really wanted to do bad. 10 years from now, you will look back and realize that you never got to where you are because you yourself were good. Many people support you, and they were good to you as well. You will have loyal friends, and friends will ultimately love your loyalty to them as well. When you made the decision to go into ministry, it's because you were compelled to live like what Paul said in Philippians, to live as Christ and to die as game. Will, I will tell you this, you won't die in the next 10 years. But man, you will live. Thank you, you guys. Thank you so much.